All right, so let's give our attention to God's word again. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The, grass, the Bible says that the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we have just sung that we need you. We need you every hour, we need you all the time, and we need you certainly right now. We pray before we consider your word, because not because it's the socially acceptable thing to do, but because we need you. We need you to break in to our sinful selves and illuminate your word. We need you to do something good in us. And so we ask that you would do that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have, uh, you probably don't know this, but RUF's uh, campus ministers, we have staff training twice a year. We have it in July, and it's always in Atlanta, where our national headquarters is. And then in December, uh, historically it's been in Dallas for, I don't know, 20 years or so. But this year we had it for the first time in Denver, uh, just outside of Denver. And so when we were there, I think it was the first day that we were there, I was standing with a handful of my campus minister friends, and we were outside, kind of just gotten there, and uh, we were looking at, uh, looking at the Rocky Mountains. And we were just standing there for just a couple minutes, and as guys were just sort of standing there looking at it and making comments, you know, like, wow, it's beautiful, and, you know, that's really amazing, stuff like that. Uh, one of our friends walked up, and he heard some of those comments, and he said, hey, what are you guys talking about? And we said, oh, just, we're looking at the mountains. And he, with this sort of disinterested uh, affect, said, oh, yeah. And so we all kind of turned and looked at him and said, okay, so what about that scene merits an, oh, yeah. And he reminded us that he lives in the mountains, and he gets to see them all the time, uh, every, every day. And that when you see them every day, you don't really stop to look at them anymore. And as he stood there for a minute looking at it, because now we you know, sort of made a deal of it, he sort of started to look at them again, and he said, yeah, it, it really is pretty incredible, isn't it? And now that might seem kind of crazy, maybe not, maybe you can identify, but even though he's surrounded by beautiful mountains all the time, he had to be reminded to stop for just a minute and to reflect on it. He had to be reminded to stop for just a minute and enjoy it. And I want to suggest to you that I think that's a little bit of what's at work here in this commandment, this fourth commandment, this commandment about Sabbath rest. That basically in the fourth commandment, God, God says you have to stop You have to stop and enjoy me. 
I'm going to command, I'm going to command that you stop what you're doing and rest and enjoy me. So this semester, if you've been with us, you know that we're studying through the Ten Commandments. And here we are at the fourth one. And every week we're, we're saying that the, the commandments operate both like a mirror into which we can look and see ourselves for who we really are, and at the same time like a window through which we can look and see, see God for who He really is. And so tonight as we dive in a little bit to look at this fourth commandment, I think that what we're going to see as we look, look into the mirror of the law, so to speak, I think we're going to see that we're a people that tend to work ourselves to death. And yet as we look through the window of the law, we're going to see a God that is very gracious. So gracious, in fact, that he commands, he commands us to stop and to look and to rest so that we can really live. And I want to look at that tonight very simply in, in two categories, two things. We're going to look first at work, and then secondly, we're going to look at rest. Work and rest. So first, let's talk a little bit about work. Verse 9 says that, it begins with six, says that six days you shall labor. So really, this commandment, in a sense, has a, right, it's, it's about the Sabbath day. It's about rest. That's what we tend to think about. But it also commands, really, that we work. Six days that we work. Um, and so I think it's appropriate that before we talk about rest, we take a little bit to talk about the whole concept of work. And now I don't know how that lands with you. You might think that that sounds pretty awful, um, especially that, yeah, you might think like, okay, great. Uh, so six days that are going to be uh, terrible are going to work, and then we get a day to go to church. And that doesn't sound fun. Um, that might be the way you tend to think. But I think part of the problem of the way we tend to think about the Sabbath commandment is a misunderstanding of work. So let's dig in for just a minute and think about that. I think oftentimes we do default to thinking about work as a curse, as something, some sort of necessary evil. It's, what you just, it's just what you have to do to make it in this world, right? You got you know, to make some money, got to make ends meet, and so it's just what you got to do. You know, you've probably seen the bumper stickers that like, say something like, a bad day of fishing is better than a good day of work, right? Or a bad day of golf is better than a good day at work, um, yeah, and I think that's, that's indicative of what we're saying, that we oftentimes tend to think of work as, as a burden, as a curse. And if you're more theologically minded, you might even think that it literally is part of the curse, right? That's what came along with when Adam and Eve fell. Uh, that's part of the, God's judgment, right? Work. But that's not actually true. right? The judgment, if you go back and look in Genesis... Work existed before the fall. The judgment was actually that from then on, from Adam and Eve all the way to now and until Jesus comes back, not that we would have to work, but that work would be frustrating. That our efforts would meet with, uh, with difficulty. That it'd be hard, right? But not work itself. Because like we said, it existed before the fall. It, it existed in the garden, God gave Adam and Eve things to do. To, he, he basically commanded them to, to take care of the garden, cultivate it, right? Bring life out of it. Tend it. So really we could say that work is it's built into us as people. It's part of who you are just because you're a human being. 
And I think you can probably resonate with that. You, certainly you know what it's like to do some sort of job, some sort of work, right, and, and find satisfaction in it. Like when you finish, uh, you have to write a paper, and you put your mind to writing that paper, and when you finish it, and you feel like you've done it well, there's a sense of satisfaction there, right? Because you, you had a job to do, and, and you did it, and it got finished. It feels good. I had a pastor friend of mine that a long time ago, he said he was working with, uh, with youth, right, junior high and high schoolers. And he said sometimes when he is frustrated with his work, when he just, you know, he works and works and doesn't see the fruit of his labor, uh, he says he goes home, he said he would go home and cut his grass. Because then he could look and say, I did that. I started it, I finished it, it's done. Because that feels good. And I think that, I'm sure you can, you know, that that resonates with you on some level. Work is good because we were built by God to do work. And so therefore we could say that work is not a curse, but really it's a calling. It's something that we're called to do. And there are all kinds of ways in which the potential of creation needs to be cultivated by us. And God's called us to do it. So a couple of quick applications. What does that mean for us? Well, first this. That since work is good, in and of itself work is good, and God's created us to do it, then that means that our work, whatever you put your hands to doing, right now, uh, you know, some of you have jobs, and certainly it applies to that, but you're, you're students, so your studies. So your studies, and really everything else that, you, that your hands find to do, everything is worship. That even your work is in a sense worship. That, that it can be done unto the glory of God. Right? This is something that the reformers, that's the R part of the reformed university fellowship, that's the R, the reformers locked onto. The fact that, that any job, every job, is a calling from God. That it's not just the, it's not just the Christian, um, it's not just the clergy that are pleasing God in their jobs. But that whatever you do can be pleasing to God. Right? Yeah, we tend to think that things like work, making money, exercise, sex, whatever, you know, anything in that realm, those are sort of in the secular realm. And then things like church and Bible study and prayer and Bible reading, those are the spiritual things, right, in the spiritual realm. And that's just not true. Because all of life... If we look at it biblically, all of life is spiritual in a sense. And all of life can be lived to God's glory. Right? We live, the reformers would say, we live all of life before the face of God, not just part of it. Martin Luther said this, that the humblest serving maid, sweeping for the glory of God, is just as honoring to God, just as infused with dignity as the greatest preacher in the world. I don't know if you believe that, but it's true. You hear what he's saying? That basically the most menial job you could imagine is just as honoring to God as preaching to thousands and thousands. And so that brings dignity to whatever it is you do. And again, for you, your studies. So I think what that means is that you're not just that your studies are a calling from God. Have you ever thought about that? 
then what you're doing here at Baylor is, it is for now, you're calling from God. And that brings great dignity to it. In other words, that you're not just um, somebody that one day is going to be a doctor or a lawyer or accountant or whatever. That one day you'll fulfill your calling, but now you're just studying. That even now what you're doing is to God's glory. Second application, how we work as Christians, if you're a believer. Um, I, think, I think there's a lot of confusion that we tend to think that what it means to, to work for the glory of God essentially means that you evangelize your coworkers. Right? You tell people about Jesus, and that's what it means to be a Christian, whatever. And sure, that's part of it, right? But if what we're saying is true, right, if what we're seeing from the scriptures, then it means that, that everything about your job is, in a sense, unto the glory of God. So if you're, if you're an engineer, then, then build good bridges that pleases God, or good you know, heating and cooling systems, whatever it is you engineer, if you're an artist, then, then be, really, be as creative as you can be. It's pleasing to God. Whatever it is that you do, do it well. Do it honestly. Treat people fairly. If you're a student, right, which you are, then it means that you study hard, that you work to expand your mind, to learn new concepts, to be creative. It means that academic integrity is actually a big deal because you study and take tests before the face of God. I'll say it like this. I'll end the first point with this. If we realized that the king of the universe has essentially said to you, to me, to us, I've chosen you to do something very specific for me, and only you can do exactly what I need, how much more seriously would we take our work and our studies? All right, so we... Talk a little bit about work, which this uh, commandment implies and commands. Let's talk a little bit about rest, because it obviously calls us to rest. Now look, on some level, that has to sound like a good thing, right? has to sound like a good thing that God commands that we take a day off. Mandated rest time. Um, Amy and I have been, uh, sort of one of the things that we've been talking about at our house recently, our middle child, Davis, is... What is he, four and a half, and he goes to school one day a week to this Mother's Day out. And he didn't like going to school, and we started to realize that he hated rest time because they make, they make him lie down for an hour and a half. And look, I get it. For him, that's not cool because he doesn't go to sleep. And so he has just to lay there and look at the ceiling for an hour and a half, right? So we don't make him go to rest time anymore. But doesn't that sound good to you? Right? If, if part of what was required of you, not just like it's optional here, you can, you know, if you'd like to, but it's required at Baylor that you take an hour and a half in the afternoon and you just lay there, fall asleep, whatever. That'd be awesome, right? It sounds good, and I think we would love it. Maybe we would, but maybe we wouldn't. But why does that sound good? I, w- I would imagine that it sounds good to you because you're tired, Right? We're all tired. Everybody's tired. One of my, uh, I have a good memory from Ole Miss. So uh, one of my best friends uh, at Ole Miss was Amy's brother. That's actually how Amy and I met. And uh, his name's Gate. And so Gate and I noticed, uh, it's probably more Gate noticed, that 
the more people that we talk to on campus, literally everybody you talk to is like, hey man, how's it going? Good, good, man, I'm just tired. Hey, what's up? What's happening? Oh, not much. Man, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Like everybody you ask, and I would assume it's the same around here. Like, how you how you doing? I'm good. I'm just tired. Man, it's tired. Tired. And you're laughing because you know that that's all you talk about, right? <laughs> Everybody's tired. So why are we so tired? Why is everybody tired? Um, I want to suggest two basic reasons to you. I'm not saying these are the only reasons people are tired. But two general ways that I want to look at it. One, I think that we're, and and so obviously we're talking about physically tired, but also sort of that next level of like tired in your bones, right? Deep, deep tired. We're tired because we have to work. At whatever it is, your, your actual job or your studies, whatever. Because if we don't, if we don't take care of it, then it's not going to get done. In other words, that we, we tend to believe that we are, the, we are the ultimate movers in our lives. That the ultimate reason something happens is because we do it. And so we have to work. We're responsible on an ultimate level for what happens. For example, the ultimate reason that you're going to get the grade that you want on the test is because you study hard enough and you do well enough. Again, that is true on one level, but we're talking about the ultimate reason. Right? The reason that you have money to be able to provide for you is because you have worked hard enough for it and earned enough. The bottom line is that I think we default to thinking that we have to work because nobody else is going to do it for us. And so you can't stop. Second reason I think we're tired is because we have to work so that we can be somebody. We have to work so that we can find some self-worth and be special. We talk about this a lot here at RUF. Because I think you and I tend to default to defining our identity. We define ourselves, who we are, by what we do. We confuse who we are with what we do. If you think about it, right, we even talk like this. Not that this is wrong, because work is a part of us. We've said that. But one of the first questions when you meet somebody, maybe not here on campus, but when people meet, one of the first questions is, so what do you do, right? And how do we talk about it? I, I'm a doctor. I'm a campus minister. I'm whatever. If you just ask somebody to introduce themselves, so tell me a little about you. Who are you? Well, I'm a uh, financial consultant, and right, it's, it's how we identify ourselves. So we tend to take, we tend to take what we do and in a sense, make it everything about who we are. It becomes our identity. And look, you, certainly you understand that this goes beyond just your occupation, right? right? Some of you might very well do it about your job, like your actual show-up-at-work job, or your, your studies, right? Where you take that and you make that everything, and it, it becomes who you are. But certainly it goes beyond that, right? Maybe you work hard to be the... Uh, to be the popular girl. And so you can't miss out on anything that's going on. Because that's what you want to be. And so you, you work at that. Maybe you work, you identify yourself, you want to be the, the, the good friend. And so you always respond to the text immediately. And so you work at that. 
Maybe you, maybe you want to be the good guy. That's, how you, that's where you find your identity. And so you work hard at that. And you go to three Bible studies and you come to RUF and another ministry and a prayer breakfast and all sorts of stuff. Because you have to. Right? We tend to think that we have to work so that we can find some, find some worth in ourselves. So when we hear this commandment come along, we might think that we want sort of legislated rest, but we really don't. Right? We can't stop our work, because if we do, then it's just all going to fall apart. Because we're the ones keeping it together. So we're all tired. So how do we get rest? How do we find real rest? What one pastor that I listened to called true REM rest for your soul. Right? Deep sleep, deep rest for your soul. How do we get it? And the answer is actually in the commandment. Right? It says we have to remember. Did you notice that the commandment doesn't actually say, you know, you shall rest one day of the week. It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So what's it talking about? What are, this is not the first time the Sabbath shows up. A couple things. I want. First, the first thing you need to know is basically the word Sabbath is the Hebrew word for rest. Okay? So sometimes when it's a noun, we just write out the letters and put Sabbath. That's what the Hebrew word sounds like. And sometimes when it's a verb, we say rest. So basically it's the same word. Keep that in mind. But what are they supposed... These folks, when... The Israelites and now us. What were they supposed to remember? Because God has something in mind. Well, here it is. In Exodus 16, this is fascinating. In Exodus 16, which is not that much removed from where we are, there's this great story where, so keep in mind, God has led his people out of Egypt, right? Out of slavery, the whole Red Sea thing, the whole bit, right? Unbelievable things happen. And so now the, um, they're out in the desert and they're hungry, and so they don't ask God for food, right? Even though they've seen him part the ocean. They just start complaining about how they don't have the food that they want and how the food back in Egypt used to be awesome, which it didn't. So they start complaining about it. So God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven, right? You might be familiar with the story of manna, right? And so what he says is that, look, Every day when you wake up, there's going to be basically this awesome bread stuff all over the ground. And you, have, you get up and you go pick it up. But you only pick up what you need for one day. It was a certain amount. And actually it says no matter how much, if they, if they picked up way more than that or way less than that when they weighed it, it was always exactly the same amount. And he said, don't keep any of it for the next day. Because if you do, uh, it's going to, or actually he didn't say what was going to happen. He says, don't keep it. Some of them do keep it. Right? Because who knows if God's going to bring it tomorrow. And so they wake up, and what they kept was all rotted and ruined. But God had provided more the next day. And so they get up and they work and they pick it up. But he said this On the sixth day of the week, I'm going to provide twice as much bread, manna, as you need. And you're going to pick up twice as much because the seventh day is going to be a Sabbath. On the seventh day, I want you to rest. I want you to stay in your tent and take it easy. And so you're not going to go out and pick up work and pick up food. You're going to do that the day before. And so you're going to keep some for the next day. And on that day and that day only, it's not going to rot if you keep it. And sure enough, it didn't. So what's the point? 
Well, it's the same for us as it was for the Israelites. That God commands that they rest and trust that he's going to provide what they really need. Because think about what happens. Think about, you know, enter into their situation. Right? When you wake up on that seventh day and you've got, you ate all the bread from yesterday that you needed and you've seen this happen before, the bread was always rotten, but now it's perfect. And so you don't have to, you don't get out and work. What does that make you think? Well, it makes you realize that the reason that I have this bread and actually the reason that I have bread any day is because God gives it to me. I don't even have to go out and pick it up today. The reason I have anything that I have is because God gives it to me. That it wasn't their efforts that took care of them, but it was God's. And so certainly the same is true for us, that God commands that we take a day to rest so that our bodies can re-energize physically and so that we can remember his rest. So we can remember that, that he's the one that provides for us. So what does that practically look like? All right, look, here's where things tend to get sort of interesting, tense, right? Because typically you have people that, that either want to do one of two things. When you talk about, so what is the Sabbath supposed to look like? You have people that, that want to say like, all right, here's what you can do. This, 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 and this, and this. Here's what you can't do, and the list is way longer. And that's what it means to keep the Sabbath. And then on the other hand, you have folks that say like, uh, it's just, you can't get bogged down on all that. It doesn't really matter anyway. So look, we could at least say this. I think that basically we could say that a big part of keeping the Sabbath, of what God is calling us to, is to rest from what we do the other six days of the week. Whatever it is you do on the other six days of the week, don't do that on the Sabbath. So if you're an accountant for six days of the week, then you don't account, right? If you're a painter, then you don't paint. If you're a student, well, what would it mean if you're a student? And now look, I know that for some of you, maybe all of you, that thought is terrifying. To take a break, an entire break from your studies might sound terrible. But I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about this question. Who or what is it that ultimately provides what you need? Who is it that really provides for you what you need? Ultimately, is it you? The grades that you need? The money that you need? Is it you? Because if you believe that ultimately it's God that provides for you, then I want you to see that what he's saying, right? Like my point in this is not to get you to, um, like I've been successful if you make this new regimen of I don't study on Sunday. Yay. But what I, want you, what I do want you to see is that God is saying, look, if you actually believe that I provide everything for you, that ultimately it comes from me, then you need to stop and rest. You need to take a break and remember that it comes from me. You need to stop and enjoy me, right? Just like our mountain illustration earlier. You need to rest. And I want you to see that the more, the scarier that thought is to you, the more you need to rest. Because essentially what you're saying is, no, 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 At the end of the day, I take care of it. 
And God, God's trying to show you, look, the, the deeper you think that, the more you need to rest. Just stop and see that ultimately I'm going to take care of you. But here, there's a second thing that this looks back at, right, that we're called to remember. At the end of the passage, verse 11 points back to Genesis 2 about how God made everything. Right, if you go back and read it, it says God, you know, first day of creation, God makes this, and, he said, and, and it was good. Second day, he makes this, and it was good. And then on the seventh day, he rests. So why did God rest? He didn't rest because he was tired. His rest was one of completion, right? His work was done, and he looked back at it and was satisfied. He looked back at his work, and he just enjoyed it. And this commandment says that we're called to rest like that. So here's the thing. In one sense, our rest is like God's. Um, in that, uh, or actually, there's a sense in which it's not like God's rest. Because we can't rest in our own work, right? We can't look back at our week and say, ah, I'm satisfied. Because inevitably, we're not going to be. We're just going to need to work harder. So our rest has to be like God's rest in that we look back at his finished work and rest. You see the difference? That what we're called to remember is God's completed work. And that's the only way we can truly rest. It's not just his work of creation, but the work of recreation. Right? We don't rest in what God's done in creation necessarily but in what he's done in Jesus. And this is where we're going to end. There's a lot of ways that we could get at this, but in the New Testament, what we see, uh, we'll take Matthew 11. Jesus is having a, a discussion with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. And Jesus says, he is Lord of the Sabbath. He essentially says, look, the whole Sabbath idea points to me. It's all, this whole rest thing is about rest in me. And then get this, in John 6, we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus, right, thousands of people, where he miraculously feeds a huge number of people with essentially nothing. Right? He provides food, which might sound familiar from earlier in the sermon. And then in 735, he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And then in verse 41, get this, it says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. You see what that's saying? You see what Jesus is saying about himself? That not only is he the provider of the bread, but he is the provision itself. He's not just the giver of those good things. He is the good thing that you need to live. That it's ultimately Jesus provides for us and he, as I just said, is the provision. And his provision is his provision is his life and death for us. Right? He came to this earth to live a life of perfect obedience to his Father so that he could credit that to you and to me. He came and he worked perfectly so that he could take his resume and offer it to you. And he came and he died on a cross and he took, he took the punishment that you and I deserve for all the ways that we work to try to make our identity. He took that on himself because he loves you. And he offers to give that to you 
so that that's your identity, right? We work and we work and we work to try to find some sort of self-worth, to prove to ourselves and to God that we're worth it. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus says, look, I've done it for you and you just get to take it. And the more and more that you, that you understand that, the more and more you believe it and it gets down in your bones, then and only then will you actually be able to find real rest because you can rest in Him. So we'll end with this thought. That the Sabbath, look, the Sabbath is not primarily about stopping your work. It is. But it's about stopping your work and then remembering. Right? Remembering, finding, resting in Jesus' work on your behalf. Stopping and enjoying Him. To remember that everything you have comes from a gracious God. Not just your grades and your food and your money, but your acceptance, your forgiveness, your love, your, your okayness, the, your hope for the future. Everything comes from Him. So Jesus invites you to come to Him to stop and to rest and to enjoy Him. That's an invitation. I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you, you have told us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light and that for those of us that are tired and weary, we can come to you for rest. We are tired. We're tired because of our sin, because we feel like we have to do it ourselves. And you, you offer grace and mercy. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would all find our true rest in you. And we ask this and pray this in your name. Amen.